Okay, so up to the Samachayam and Bay is two lines at the bottom. There's the two dots. The Mishnah had said, the Mishnah was discussing whether the husband has rights to the mitzia of his wife. The Mishnah said that if, if, the, if the wife finds something, the husband can keep it. So the Gemara explains this is actually a machlegas tanoim. Tani tana kamedirava. The Brisa actually teaches that if a woman finds a lost object, she gets to keep it. Our Mishnah disagrees because our Mishnah is Rav Akiva Omer Labayla. Rav Akiva says it goes to the husband. Okay. So Amr the Gemara Sakashi, you tell me that according to Rav Akiva, if a wife finds something, it goes to the husband. Here's the Kasha. We had a couple, I think last Shabbos, we had a daf that said, that we know there's the main pros- the main earnings of the wife, and then there's the excess earnings. So Pashtus, if the husband gives the silver coin, the excess earning goes to the husband, the Shita Revakiva, is that the excess earnings belongs to the wife. Because if you remember, a week ago we had uh, a halacha from Revakiva, that if a woman makes a vow that the excess, that the earnings are also to her husband, says Revakiva, she has to nullify the vow. Why? Because the excess earning belongs to her. So the nether is chal on the excess earnings. So when she makes excess earnings, saka oser. You see, the excess earnings belongs to the wife. So the Gemara Sakasha, you tell me that according to Revakiva, even things that she finds belong to the husband, but the excess earnings belongs to the wife. If I were to ask you which one should go to the husband first, you'd say the earnings. Because that's she's that's her making a living. If you're telling me that the husband's possessions are so powerful that he's given even lost objects, which no one could have anticipated getting, then the excess earnings kavachaymer. So how could we say that according to Rebekiva, the mitzias belongs to the husband if the excess earnings belongs to the wife? That's the Gemara's kasha. So Amar lehashem adofa, the have the earnings, the excess earnings. Amar Rebekiva latzmer. Rebekiva holds that she could keep her excess earnings. Mitzias lekolshigin all the more so. A lost object should belong to her. That's not as we had in the Mishnah a week ago. If a woman makes a nether, that my earnings are also to my husband. The Tanakama says she doesn't have to nullify it because the earnings belong to the husband, so it's not hers to Aser. Says Rav Akiva, Rav Akiva says no. She has to revoke it. Because perhaps she's going to make excess earnings, and the excess earnings belongs to her. So you see, according to Rekiva, the excess earnings belongs to her, but the Metziah belongs to the husband. It's, it's not possible. Ella Epoch, the Gemara says, you're right, reverse the opinions. Rekiva is the one who disagrees with the Tanakama. The Tanakama feels that the lost objects belong to the husband. Rekiva disagrees it belongs to the wife because he treats it like excess earnings. Now here's the Kasha. The kash is like this, right? We had a machloikis, whether the excess earnings belong to the wife or the husband, but says the brisa clarifies there's excess earnings. So let's say the the main earnings is 10, I think it's slime worth of uh, uh, spinning wool. If she spins wool, so the first 10 slime is the main, and then everything excess is excess. Excess earnings can be easily uh, attained or could be very difficult. Let's say she's spinning wool. So if she's very skilled at it and it's very easy for her, she has extra time, the excess, earn, excess wool will be very easily attained. Or you could have a woman who's busy who's not good at it, it's very hard. So you could have excess earnings that was done through laborious or through very easy. So we have a machlegas whether the excess earnings belong to the wife or the husband. It says the Gemara, Excess earnings that become very easy. Everyone agrees it belongs to the husband. The whole machloikes is where the excess earnings was attained with difficulty. Tanakamasov, Labayla, Rav Akiva, Sav, Lasmus. The cash is like this. 
right now we're having a machloikas whether the lost object that a woman finds belongs to the husband. But we all know that excess earnings that are that are attained easily, everyone agrees belongs to the husband. So shouldn't we compare? Meaning, right now we're saying there's a machloikas by lost objects who it belongs to. There's also machloikas by the excess. So okay, it makes sense. We're comparing excess to lost objects. But the Gemara is saying, wait a minute. The whole machloikas is dafka by excess earnings that are hard to attain. Excess earnings that are easily attained, everyone agrees it belongs to the husband. Shouldn't we compare a lost object to excess earnings that are easily attained? Because it's easy to find the lost objects right on the floor. So how could you say it's a machloikas? Shouldn't it be universally accepted it belongs to the husband? The answer is no. You see from this that a lost object is more comparable to excess earnings that are done through labor. Because sometimes to find something, right, you've got to take a metal detector and you have to actually dig, you have to look for it. It's not easy to find. So the Gemara is saying the reason the machloikas of who belongs, who owns the uh, the mitziah that she finds is because we're comparing mitziah, lost objects, to to excess earnings that are attained through labor, through difficulty. Okay. So the cash is like this. Uh, we said before that excess earnings, who it belongs to, if it was attained easily, it belongs to the husband. With difficulty, it's The question is, let's say she makes excess earnings and it's difficult because she's doing uh, multiple things at once. So really, on its own, it's easy, but she happened to do it in a difficult way. Mahu, what's the halacha? Is this considered with exertion, and it's a machlekes, or is it considered easy, and it's universally accepted, it belongs to the, belongs to the, 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 the husband? Boy Ravina, what if uh, she did three or four tasks simultaneously? Mahu, what's the halacha? Teiku, we do not know. Okay. The Misha then said that if she gets humiliated. Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra says part of the humiliation belongs to the husband. How much of the money does he get for her humiliation? So if she got humiliated, she got injured in a concealed part of the body, so she gets two-thirds, he gets one-third. If it's a revealed part of the body, then he's also humiliated by his wife not looking good, so he gets two-thirds. So the Gemara basically wants to try to figure out why are we paying the husband for her humiliation? She's humiliated. We said uh, it, uh, it's, it affects the husband as well. Obviously, it doesn't look good. You know, the wife gets uh, beaten up. It's, it's embarrassing for him too. So he gets money. Where do we find such a concept that you embarrass one person and someone else gets the money? So the Gemara is basically going to conclude that, to spoil it, this is the next Ahmed, uh, not the next Ahmed, uh, before the Mishnah, the Gemara is going to basically uh, conclude that a wife's humiliation, she's considered like the husband, like ishta kigufa. It's like one body. So in general, you're right. We don't. If I, if you know, if my cousin gets embarrassed, even if you know it's technically embarrassing for the whole mishpacha, that's I'm not getting paid. But ishta uh, kigufa, a wife's embarrassment taka goes to the husband. Maskula Rav Barav Nachman Elmiati, you're telling me that you can embarrass the wife and the husband gets the money because she's the property, and I use that with quotations, halachically. So, if you embarrass, like the Gemara is not comparing a woman to a horse, in, you know, the Gemara is just saying, so if I embarrass the horse of an animal, a uh, horse of a person, I should pay the owner? Of course not. So, embarrass the wife. Oh, but she's halachically the acquisition of the husband. So what? Where do we find this? The Gemara just says, well, sus how, do you, uh, how do you embarrass a horse? Horses are not capable of being embarrassed. Um, meaning, you know, it has to be that the item, item in this case being the horse or the woman, is capable of being embarrassed for it to be a good uh, comparison. 
So the Gemara says, okay, fine, I have a different comparison. Let's say you spit on someone's begot. You spit on a shirt. And it causes embarrassment. Do you have to pay for humiliation? You know, obviously, according, you know, if you spit on my shirt, it's embarrassing for me, but we don't find that you have to pay. If you spit on my body, that's one thing, but my clothes, it's too, it's too removed. So over here also, if you embarrass the wife, why does the husband get the money? The Mishnah says, If you spit on someone and it reaches on his skin, so you, you embarrassed his body, his essence, then you have to pay. Or or if you uncover a woman's head, uh, you take off her shaitl. The Hebertalis or if you remove someone's shirt, and it's embarrassing. You have to pay 400 zuz as the compensation for the embarrassment. Allah is you only have to pay if you spit on his sh- on his body. But if you spit on his shirt, even if it caused embarrassment, you don't have to pay. So so why over here do you have to pay when you embarrass the wife? So the Gemara says, well, but big day, Leslie Zulusa. Ishta Isli Zulusa. The Gemara says, well, the Gemara is saying like this. Right now, you don't have to, you only have to pay if someone spits on someone's body because that's really embarrassing, but the clothing not. So why do you have to pay when you embarrass the wife? The answer is, well, the wife's embarrassment is more than spitting on someone's shirt. The Gemara says, but wait a minute, but still, Amrle Ravin Ravashi. So if I embarrass, if my cousin gets embarrassed, and it, it's embarrassing for the homeshbacha, a homeshbacha should get money. Of course not. So why are you paying if the wife gets embarrassed to the husband? The answer is ishtagufay, and therefore the wife's embarrassment is taka the husband's embarrassment, and therefore he gets money. Okay, this next mission deals with dowries. Again, the dowry is the pledge that the father-in-law is pledging to his son-in-law. Now, let's start at the beginning of the Mishnah. It says, Let's say a father-in-law accepts to give money for the dowry of his son-in-law. He's going to have a son-in-law, Moshe, Avram, let's pick Avram. So, they get they have a Kedushan, and he promises to give a certain amount of money to Avram. But then what happens? Avram dies before the wedding. And now, Avram's brother wants to do Yibam. So what's the Halacha? The Halacha is... The father, the father-in-law does not have to give the dowry. Why? I, the, the brother is doing yibam. The answer is because the father-in-law can say, I, I was willing to give money towards Avram, not his brother Yitzchak. So if you promise to be, write a dowry for one brother and the brother dies, you are not obligated to give a dowry, the dowry to the brother who's doing yibam. Because you could say, legitimately, I, 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 like the first brother, I never, I never agreed to give money to you. Then the mission continues like this. Now, the mission is dealing with as follows: if the bride, if let's say she's bringing the dowry, which is again, it's either money or goods. So the halacha is that most of the ksuba, which is written up, is called nichsei tzayin barzel, which means it becomes the husband's uh, during the marriage. But if the husband divorces her, or he dies first, so she gets it back. Now, she gets the value of it as the marriage took place. So let's say she brings in a couch. So, it's $5,000. So, it's appraised, it's worth $5,000. So, during the marriage, the husband becomes the husband's. He could use. And it becomes his. But if he dies or divorces her, he has to give her back a $5,000 couch. Regardless of whether the, in, in the interim, whether the market value went up or down, it doesn't matter. 5000 is what it was appraised to, you get 5000 Now, the Mishnah is now going to deal with the fact that do you have to pay back the exact appraised value 
or is it slightly different? So the basic rule is, let's figure, let's start with cash, and then let's start, and then we'll go to goods. So the bride brings in a thousand dinars cash. So that means, again, it becomes the husband's, but he has to pay back. If he divorces or, or dies before her, the estate gives back the thousand dollars. The halacha is, when you bring in cash, you don't just give back the amount, you have to give back the amount, plus a 50% surcharge. So if she brought in a thousand dinars, he has to give back fifteen hundred dinars back. Now it's not first of all, it's not ribis because it's not a loan; it, it's a transaction. He's buying a thousand dollars from her, and he's paying back fifteen hundred dollars. Meaning, in order to to, I guess the benefit of men, of having cash, he's paying. He has to pay a surcharge of fifty percent. That's if it's cash. Now if it's appraised goods. Now here's the thing. Let's say we'll go with a couch. So she appraises the couch. It's worth $1,000. So the marriage is over. He has to give back a couch or the value of the couch. The halacha is he does not have to give back $1,000. He has to give back the couch, the value of the couch, minus um, minus uh, a fifth. Because for two reasons. First of all, a lot of appraisers, like if, if, if the purpose of the couch is to be sold, meaning there's two different types of goods and merchandise. Merchandise that's meant to be sold and merchandise that's meant to be used. If it's meant to be sold, then a lot of times appraisers are off. They overvalue. But even if it's meant to be used and they're accurate, if you bring in a couch that's worth $1,000 at the beginning of the marriage, by the end of the marriage, it's not going to be worth $1,000. It'll go down 20%. So you have to pay back the value of the appraisal minus 20%. Okay. However, if the goods were appraised and they're actually valued at a mana and they're not meant to be used, meaning they're meant to be sold. So the issue is a lot of times when the appraised values, uh, uh, items meant to be sold, they're off by 20%. That's why it's generally also less than 20%. But if the guy was accurate, then, then, then if he's accurate, he's accurate. But the average item, which is meant to be used, so if it's, if it's money, the husband has to pay back a 50% surcharge. If it's an item that's meant to be used, he actually pays back 80% on the dollar. 80 cents on the dollar. Now, Shumbamana, now that's the first category where she's bringing in items and they're appraised. What if it's the opposite? What if she promises to bring in items? Meaning, she doesn't have a couch now, but she says, I promise I'll bring a $1,000 couch. So then, he is obligated to pay back at the end of the marriage an $800 couch. Because again, it's the same. it's the same thing. He is obligated for the appraised value minus 20%, or if it's cash, it's appraised value up 50%. If the chassan accepted an appraised good for a month, so it doesn't exist yet, but he had promised, she promised to bring in a couch worth a thousand, so so if he accepted a thousand dollars worth, then she has to bring in a couch that's a thousand and two hundred, because again, he's always responsible for the item minus twenty percent. So, if there is an item, then he'll have to pay back eighty percent of the item. And if there is no item yet, so and he promises just pay back a thousand dollars, then she has to bring him a twelve hundred dollar couch. Okay, go to the next page. He always uh, contracts to pay a fifth less than the appraised value. So the first halacha was that if the father promised a dowry for the first son and then the son died, he does not have to fulfill the dowry for the brothers doing yibam. So says the b'raisa, It's needless to say if the one who died was a tamachacham and the brothers doing yibam is an ama'aretz, of course you, 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 don't have to, you don't have to honor the dowry. 
because the second guy is an Amaretz. The answer is the opposite. Even if the first brother was an Amaretz and the second brother is doing Yibam as a Tamil he still doesn't have to honor the dowry because the father can legitimately say, I never met you and I never agreed to give you money, even if you're a big Tamil Chacham. I, I never agreed. Okay. The Mishnah then said the rule twice, which is the, the rule is that the appraised value, the husband pays back 80% of the appraised value. But it said it twice. So the Gemara wants to know, why did it say it twice? Tanashuma Rabba, Tanashuma Zuta. It talked about a large appraisal and a small appraisal. Tanashuma Dideva, Tanashuma Dida. It talked about his appraisal and hers appraisal, meaning whether it talked about a large quantity, a smaller quantity. It also talked about whether she has the item already and it's already appraised, or he's agreeing to an item that will be appraised in the future. And that's why I wanted to list all these categories. Next Mishnah. The Mishnah says like this, Pascha lahachas like Safim. If the bride pledges to bring in money as the dowry, so she promises to bring in $1,000, so that he's responsible, again, with cash, he has to do a 50% surcharge, so he's responsible for $1,500. Salin asa shisha dinar. Same rule that we had before. The Gemara is going to ask, why is it repeating? Another halacha is that the groom, for every, um, for every, 10 dinars um, for every mana I'm sorry, a mana is a 100 dinars I believe, um, 100 dinars for every 100 dinars that she brings in to the wet, to the marriage, he has to give her 10% of that value towards cosmetics that's what the Mishnah says, because in that area they would give 10%, they would spend 10% of their money on cosmetics so all money that she brings in, 10% of it has to be spent on cosmetics Rabbi Shemuel says no specific amount. It's all totally in the in location. Whatever percentage people spend on cosmetics, that's what the husband has to spend based on the amount, percentage of the dowry that she brings in. Okay? So the first halacha was that if the bride pledges to bring in money, the husband has to give a 50% surcharge at the end of the marriage. So we've had this already. This is the same. It's, a, it's the, both Mishnayis. It's the same halacha. So the Gemara says, So why is it repeating itself? So the answer is, The answer is, both Mishnayis are saying the same halacha, which is that when the husband, when the wife brings in money into the marriage, the husband has to pay back with a 50% surcharge. So why is it repeated? Because one is talking about a large investment of cash and one is talking about a small investment of cash. Each one is a chiddush. If the first, if all it's talked about was the large capital that he has to pay back 50% surcharge, you say, yeah, again, the reason why you're paying back a surcharge is because you're get, the husband gets the benefit of having cash. So he's given $100,000, that's so much money that he's happy to pay back 50%. But a small amount of money, the Zuta Ravcha, where it's a small profit, maybe he doesn't want to give a 50% surcharge. No, come on, you need both. And if the Mishnah had only said a small capital, I would say the Zuta Zaini. Less money, it's less, it's less difficult to manage the money. But a large amount of money, $100,000, where it's hard to manage that, I would say where it takes a lot of expense to manage it, that's why you need uh, the Mishnah. Okay. My kupa, what does it mean that he accepts 10% for a basket? Um, Ravashi, kupa some cosmetics, fragrances. Um, Ravashi, this is true only in Shalayim, where that was the custom to spend 10% of their money on cosmetics. Boy, Ravashi, when the Mishnah says that you have to give 10% of the mana towards cosmetics, is that an appraised mana or a contracted mana? What does it mean? So, 
Meaning, we said before that the husband always, with, with items, he always does, um, with, with actual merchandise, he only has to pay back 80%. So the halacha is for the value that she brings into the dowry. Let's say the dowry with all the merchandise is worth $10,000. So he has to give 10% towards cosmetic, which is 1000 Is the 10% of the money she brings in, or the, meaning so 100% of it, and you find 10%, or is it of the value he's responsible, which is 80%. So is it 10% of the entire dowry, or 10% of the 80% that he's responsible? That's the first question. Imtim siloy mermona miskabo. If you say that it's the mana hamiskabo, which is um, the eighty percent, yoim rishon or kol yoim v'yoim, does he pay her only the first day or every day? Meaning, I guess the question is. Hold on one second. I guess the question is: It lump sum or is it a small payment throughout? Uh, yeah, I mean, is it one lump sum in the beginning, or does the obligation continue? So, let's say you give her the beginning of marriage, you give her all the money for cosmetics. Ten years later, do you have to give her more money, or is it a one lump sum? Shana Rishayner Kol Shabbos Shabbos. Uh, and if you say that it's every day, is it only every day of the first week or every day of every week? Uh, that's the question, meaning, I, I guess, how, how it's being paid out. Hold on one second. Yes, I guess that's the question. The question is, do you pay it in one lump sum or is it split up? And then if it's split up, within how long of a time period? A week? A month, the first Shana, Rishayna, maybe you pick a project a certain amount of years and you pay it out, you know, over the next 10 years. Take we don't know. Amrav Yudhamarav, Maisa Bebide Shana Nakdim Ben-Gurion. We know the daughter of Nakdim Ben-Gurion, again, Nakdim Ben-Gurion was a very wealthy Jew. And his daughter, Shepaskulacham Arba Me'ezuvim L'Kuba Shalbasam L'Bebiyon. The first day, just for the first day of her being a widow, uh, Chazal, uh, Chazal uh, uh, the Rabbonim awarded her 400 gold dinars in just for fragrances for that day. That's how, that's how much money she had, and that's how much she spent on cosmetics. The Gemara says, So she said to them, So too, your daughter should be zaycha to that much, that much cosmetics. And they answered, Amen. Gemara ends off with a story. He was riding on a donkey, exiting Yishalayim, he's right after the Churban. His students were following him. He saw a certain young woman, saw a woman, that she was finding kernels of barley amongst the excrement of animals belonging to Arabs. I mean, she was looking at the excrement for, for seeds. So she was very, very poor. So when she saw him, she covered herself with her hair and stood before him. I guess she was embarrassed. She said, Rabbi Parnasani, she said, Rabbi, please give me give me food. Who are you? I'm the daughter of the one of the wealthiest Jews of all time. Where's where's your father's money? So Amrloi Rebbe Loi Kedain Matlin Matbi Shalim, don't they have a, a saying in Yushlay Melech Mamin Khasar? The pre, the salt is the salt of money salt uh, the salt of money is its deficit, meaning if you want to preserve money, you have to spend it, meaning tzedakah. 
If you want to preserve money, the salt preserves meat, preserves money, tzedakah. My family didn't give enough tzedakah, as we'll see tomorrow's daf. The Gemara is going to ask, how is that possible? But he said, my family didn't give enough tzedakah, and that's why we lost it. Or we didn't give enough kindness to preserve the money. So that's where his father, her father's money went. So uh, what about your father-in-law's money? You have a, your father, your, your husband's family, where about their money? This money came in and wiped out the other. I guess they did business together. They, they, they worked together and they lost all their money. So she said to Rabbi Rabbi, do you remember when you signed my ksuba by my wedding? So Rabbi Yechon turned to his students and he says, I remember when I signed her ksuba. He said, I read the ksuba. That I said, I read that she she brought into the marriage a million dinars of gold. Chutz Michelle Chameha, and that was just from her father's house, not including the father in law's estate. That was just the dowry. So Baruch Arichem and Zakev Amr, and Zakev cried, and he said, Ashrechem Yisrael, how fortunate the Jewish people, Bizman Shah, Yisrael, 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 that when you keep the will of Hashem and you do Chesed and do Tzedakah, in Kulm of Hashem, no one can touch us, and we have so much money. Bizman Shah, in Yisrael, 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 but we don't do the will of Hashem, we don't give Tzedakah properly, we can be given over to very low people. Not only to low people, the animals are such low people because she's looking for seeds within the animals' excrement. And that happens from a lack of ches and a lack of tzedakah.